Hey, podcast listeners, this is Jared Pickney here with Robert. I'm here. (laughs) I'm here. You're awake over there, Robert. Hey, uh, this week is going to be a little bit different than your typical podcast. You know, typically we like to have a back and forth conversation. It kind of feels like you're listening in as we're having a cup of coffee or something with our guests. But uh, this episode is going to be unique because we asked Bob to come on and to share what uh, actually is a very detailed report of the history of the Paragold School District. And not just the Paragold School District, but actually the Green County Districts as well. And it is very detailed. It I mean, is. there's a lot of information in there, a lot of names, a lot of dates. Um, and so it's not going to be a back and forth conversation. It's just going to be kind of a narrative, I guess. Was that the way you explained yeah, it? Where he just exactly kind of right. shares. He did yours. a lot of research and uh, I mean, it was very, very, very informative. Yeah, absolutely. And so would encourage you to, you know, pop this in as you go for your jog or ride on your mower, whatever it is yeah. you're about to do, work out. But uh, try as good as you can, man, to listen to the information that he has here because it really is valuable. Now, we have this recorded, and we can go back and listen to it and just, again, know how we got our schools. And so, um, as always, thanks for tuning in. Now we're going to kick it over to Bob Branch. The pioneer schools in Greene County were few and far between, and most of them were of an inferior nature. Most men reached adulthood without ever attending school. Mm. The best available description of the early schools of Greene County I found in B.H. Crowley's autobiography. This appeared in the Solophone, which was a local newspaper. Mm-hmm. Before it eventually came, became the Daily Press. Or, right. Okay. It was in November 20, 26, uh, 1906. And he wrote, the first school that I attended and among the first of the schools taught in Greene County was located in a log house on Eight Mile Creek, about a mile and a half from where Paragool was later to be located. The house was constructed of round poles and covered with rough boards. A large space was cut out of one side for a door, and this was never covered. One end was left open for the fireplace. There was no floor except dirt, and split logs served as seats. Now, this ended his remarks. Mm. The schools um, of which we have records, Greene County was created in 1834. The first school of which I could find a record was about 1840, and that was Friars School. It was an old log church in what would later be known as Beach Grove. Mm. Then, uh, just before 1878, a subscription school was opened at the community that became known as Finch. Do you call that a subscription school? A subscription school. This is where an itinerant teacher comes around and offers to open a school if the parents are willing to pay tuition. And he will live with one of the families and teach as long as there's money to be paid to him. 
Was is that different than even like Friar or the other schools? I mean, you said that the subscription school the parents would pay for, but some of these other schools that were popping up, was that true as well that the parents paid for the school? Uh, until until there was tax revenue. Okay. Yes, the parents paid for the teaching that went on. So this school, this subscription school that was later founded at Finch, it took its name from the first schoolmaster who conducted the school there. And then a post office was granted there, and the name given the post office was Finch. So the community became known as Finch from the name of that subscription school teacher that came. The first date of a public school in Finch and the county education office was in 1910. So there was a period of about 32 years between that subscription school and the first public school in Finch. And these were the first schools, you're saying, in Greene County that we have record of? Well, it's the second. The first school right. we found was at Friars at Beach Grove. Is this because at that point those were a little bit larger communities? I don't know why that was so. It was probably just the interest of the parents in seeking education for their children. Then in 1906, there was a one-room school opened at Light, and it later became known as Light West. In 1914, a second room was added to the Light School, and they increased their classes to six grades. Then Light West later built a high school and graduated its first class in 1944. Mm. So Light did not have a graduating class until the middle of the Second World War. Wow. In 1907, a Light school was opened in the Kaufman community. That's out east of Paragool. Mm -hmm. And so it became known as Light East. So we had Light West out at what we now know as Light, west of Walcott, and then we had Light East, which would be east of Paragould. Mm. Before 1910, the commissary school was established. J. Marion Futrell grew up in this area and attended school at the commissary school, and he later taught there. He then later became governor of the state of Arkansas, and his home in Paragould now houses the Greene County Museum. Hmm. In 1914, we have the first record of Crossroads School. Crossroads School was in the community we came to know as Stanford. In 1941, a high school was added at Crossroads, and it became known as Stanford school. In 1916, a school was built at Hooker. And in 1938, the Hooker School consolidated with the Life School. In 1926, Greene County Consolidated School District Number 1 was formed. It grew out of the consolidation of the following schools, Pruitt's Chapel, New Bethel, 
Brown's Chapel, Woods Chapel, Village Creek, and Bethel Station schools. All My, of these schools formed. What they it consolidated called? to form the first consolidated school in Greene County, and that was Greene County Consolidated School District Number One. My father, W.A. Branch, brought about this consolidation and was the first superintendent at that school. How did he bring that about? He uh, got the leaders in those communities to agree to join their schools together and create one school rather than those uh, five or six or seven schools. And you might have been about to get to this, but did they already have a building? No, no. I will cover that. Okay. Okay. Um, We will hear more about this uh, information when we look at the formation of Greene County Tech School Mm -hmm. District. In 1949, Light West and Beach Grove joined Greene County Tech, but they did not join willingly. They were required by law, and I'll cover that when we talk about the creation of Greene County Tech. Let's go to Paragould now. Paragould had its beginning in 1882 when two railroads crossed in a timbered wilderness. In 1883, Professor Hopkins came from Gainesville, our county seat, and he opened a one-room subscription school. Seven years later, Professor R.S. Thompson opened the Thompson Classical Institute, and that was located up at the corner of 2nd and Court Street across from the post office. We were just looking at Yeah, the building we were looking at. That was the Thompson Classical Institute. It included an elementary school as well as a course of study equivalent to a four-year high school. Tuition was $14 a term. Paragool School Districts had their beginnings in 1899. That would be 17 years after the community was founded. Paragould had an unusual condition. It had two separate school districts, each governed by its own separate school board, one for the east side of uh, schools and one for the west side schools. In 1900, an agreement was reached to unite the two districts to form Paragould Special School District Number 1. Paragould schools then consisted of grades 1 through 9, with the 8th and 9th grades constituting the high school department. The top salary for a teacher with a professional license was $127.50 a month. The lowest pay for a teacher with a third-grade certificate was $85 per month. The West Side School was the first public school in Paragould. It was located at 9th Street and West Emerson Street. It was used for all grades. Its first high school graduation class 
was in 1903. It consisted of four young women who had completed 10 grades of study. The 11th and 12th grades were added by 1907. A new high school was built on the West Side property in 1909, leaving the old building to be used solely for elementary grades. In 1918, the elementary building was destroyed by fire and a temporary shed-type building was constructed to accommodate the West Side grade school students. Are either one of those buildings still standing? Not now, but I'll cover that also. In 1922, patrons of Mount Carmel School, that was located at the intersection of Mount Carmel Road, which we now call Reynolds Road, and Fairview Road, and the Mount Carmel School, and the Morning Star School, which was east of Mount Carmel School. Uh, They were both located on the north edge of Paragould, and these two school districts petitioned to create a north end school district to serve the north section of Paragould. This district existed as a separate school district until 1946 when it became part of the Paragool Special School District Number 1. And that's where later Oakwood School was located. That's where those two consolidated schools, uh, were. the North End schools, were located Mm. there. In 1926, a two-story high school building of classic design was constructed at Court Street and 7th Streets. The old high school building became the West Side Grade School and was renamed Woodrow Wilson, housing grades 1 through 6. Also in 1926, Southside School became known as L.W. Baldwin Elementary School. This name was to honor a railroad company vice president in anticipation of his company locating a railroad enterprise in Paragould. This did not happen, and so the initials LW were later dropped from the school name. It was simply known as Baldwin School. The old two-story building was destroyed in 1967 by a tornado, and the Baldwin School was rebuilt in two separate structures. The East Side School was called Elmwood. It was the only school on the east side of town. The name was taken from a tall grove of uh, elm trees Mm. on the campus. The original building was built in 1914. A new and modern structure was added in 1963, and the old structure was raised in 1967. This site presently accommodates the school of the 21st century. At the high school, the following programs and activities were added. In 1909, Paragould High School added an art department, manual training, and music. In 1918, Paragould High School added a commercial department. In 1934 to 1937, 
Perryville High School added a band and agriculture department. And then between 1937 and 1945, they added a diversified occupations program that prepared kids when they finished school, if they weren't going to college, learn to do a job and get a job. Mm. It was called the DO program, Diversified Occupations. In 1941, an agriculture building was constructed by the National Youth Administration. That was a FDR uh, New Deal program to get us out of the Depression to give youth the job. And so the National Youth Administration uh, built the building that became the agriculture building on the high school campus. It housed the agriculture department for several years and later became the band building. The present uh, high school facility, the one we're using now, was begun in 1963 and has been expanded and improved several times. Also in 1941, a building was built on the Woodrow Wilson campus by the National Youth Administration to train students for industrial jobs. This would be at the beginning of the Second World War. After World War II, the building was converted for a grade school housing the 6th and 7th grades. Later, it was used for the 3rd through the 6th grades of Woodrow Wilson And in 1954, the old 99 building, which had been the first high school building in Paragould, in 1954, that old building was raised and replaced with a new building. The NYA building uh, has now been removed, and its site is now part of the playground at Woodrow Wilson School. Before 1950, black children in Paragould received education only as it might be available in homeschooling. Uh. In 1950, Ralph Hazlip, who was superintendent of the Paragould School District, persuaded the school board to underwrite the cost of transporting the black school-aged children to Jonesboro and paying tuition for them where they were educated at the Booker T. Washington Public School for Blacks in Jonesboro. Now, let me uh, talk about the genius and genesis of Greene County Technical School District. The story of Greene County Tech has been told by several different people from several different perspectives. These can be found in publications of the Greene County Historical and Genealogical Society. I want to tell you of this beginning of Greene County Technical School District Number 1, as I observed it happening, and its antecedents as related to me by my father, W.A. Branch. Before these consolidated schools, schools operated when there was no work to be done on the farm and when there was money available to pay a teacher. There were subscription schools where a teacher would come into an area and offer to teach students whose parents paid him a fee. He was an itinerant teacher. My father, W.A. Branch, 
grew up in the Browns Chapel, Woods Chapel areas of Greene County. These were churches that also served as schools when needed. Six grades of teaching were offered. My father completed six grades at Brown's Chapel and then returned as the teacher. My dad said this was where he learned his letters. This was a common practice in those days. When a student completed the last grade offered and desired to do so, and given the opportunity, he returned to teach his farmer fellow students. My dad taught school and worked on his parents' farm until he saved enough money to enter Washita Baptist College in Arkadelphia. So with a sixth-grade education and a strong desire to learn, he entered college for one year. With that background, he returned and at age 18 became the teacher at Walcott. He lived in the Browns Chapel area, so this entailed a journey of about 10 miles each way. He arose early in the morning, saddled his horse, and rode to Walcott in time to build a fire to warm the schoolroom by 7.30 in the morning. At the end of the day, he rode home, arriving after dark. Some of the students were older than he and had run off the previous teacher. When some of the older boys undertook to do this, Dad took on the oldest and the biggest, 21 years old and three years senior to my dad, and this oldest and biggest boy was physically whipped and subdued, and this ended the problem. Dad finished the year in Walcott and then taught at Brown's Chapel and Wood's Chapel, where he met a female student who had become his wife and my mother. When he started teaching about 1902, there were 83 school districts in Greene County. Wow. This was necessary because students walked to school. In 1926, the first consolidated school was organized in Greene County. It was called Greene County Consolidated School District Number 1. My father brought about this consolidation and became the first superintendent. Mm. I've already told you the schools that were consolidated mm -hmm. to create that, but I'll review them. People can get an idea of mm -hmm. where they were located. Uh, those schools were... Uh, Pruitt's Chapel, New Bethel, Brown's Chapel, Woods Chapel, Village Creek, and Bethel Station. This school was located, that is, this new consolidated school, was located at the present site of Green County Tech High School. After establishing this first consolidated school district successfully, my dad proposed the district purchased a bus to provide transportation for students. The idea was rejected by the school board with a rejoinder, we walk to school and so can they. <laughs> My dad enlisted the help of two successful and leading farmers in the district, and the three of them went to a local bank, signed a note, and borrowed the money to buy the first school bus in Greene County. 
they allowed the school district the free use of this bus. After one year's experience, the school board agreed the bus was needed and the school district took over the debt at the bank. The original building for this first consolidated school was destroyed by fire in 1932. There was much opposition to the consolidation at first. The people didn't want to lose their local school. But after the fire, one school year was lost in the construction of a new building. When the school started again after the year of not having a school, there seemed to be a different attitude in the community. A much better spirit of cooperation seemed to exist. Residents of the district were happy and were very proud of their school. This idea of consolidation caught on in the county, and in a few years, all of the small districts began to consolidate and form high schools in the rural areas over the county. In fact, Greene County led the state in the consolidation movement. Mm. In 1945, before the consolidation of Greene County Tech, there were 13 high schools and 44 elementary schools in Greene County. See how many of these high schools you could locate. They were Shady Grove, Greene County, Walcott, Beach Grove, Alexander, Della Plain, Leif, Oak Grove, Lakeside, Stanford, Light, Marmaduke, and Paragould. After the end of World War II in 1945, W.A. Branch felt there was a need for better education in the coming post-war era. Transportation, communication, medicine, agriculture, and other areas were developing at a very rapid pace. He felt that in order for the younger generation to fit into this more advanced scheme of things, they would need a better educational program. Since the first consolidated programs had worked out so well, Dad felt that the movement would be carried a step farther by consolidating some of the original consolidated school districts. By using this method, he felt the financial basis of the larger schools would be enhanced. At this point, uh, Elwin Little was the county school supervisor for Green County. He and my dad had the same ideas and goals relative to the needs of education, and they fo their focus was on South Greene County. They joined their efforts in working to improve the rural education in Greene County. The three original consolidated school districts with which they were concerned were Greene County, Consolidated School District Number 1, Lakeside, and Alexander. At this time, the students in the 10th, 11th, and 12th grades from Alexander were attending school at Lakeside. Lloyd Howell was serving as superintendent at Lakeside and was invited by my father and Elwin Little 
to join in their effort toward this super consolidation. There was much opposition to this consolidation. People didn't want to lose, again, their local schools. And so two elections were held, and the electors in the districts opposed the consolidation in both elections. The question failed. At this time, there was a law in Arkansas that permitted annexation of school districts by petition. If a majority of the qualified voters in a given district would sign a petition requesting the County Board of Education to annex two or more districts, and if the County Board of Education approved, then the combination of the districts would be done. So this is the goal, uh, the route they decided to follow. A number of helpers were recruited, and these helpers, along with W.A. Branch, Elwin Little, and Lloyd Howell, undertook the petition route. The signed petitions were determined to be adequate in number of signers. The petitions were presented to the County Board of Education, who approved the petitions, and the annexation of Greene County Consolidated District Number 1, Lakeside, and Alexander became Greene County Technical School District Number 1. A short time later, Walcott and Shady Grove joined in this consolidation. However, there was still much opposition to this idea. It was the responsibility of the County Board of Education to appoint a school board to serve the new district until the next school board election. Representatives were selected from each district, original district. The members appointed to serve on this first board were Arthur Jones, J. Moss Payne, Alan Fletcher, Griffin Cothran, Jeff Blackburn, and Jim Thompson. The next problem was a location for the Central High School. Dr. F.A. Poe owned a recreational site for his family located immediately west of Center Hill, where the original Green County Tech High School was later constructed. Dr. Poe offered this property for sale to the school board on this property were located a large two-story log cabin, a large lake, and a barn. The property was purchased by the school district. The cabin was used to house the home economics department and the business education department. The barn was remodeled and used for a school bus repair shop. Construction of a high school building was begun in the spring of 1947. At this time, rural schools had split terms. The majority of the families in the rural school districts made their living farming, and children did much of the work. The school year started just after July 4 and continued for about two or two and a half months or until a cotton was ready to be picked. The next part of the school year began about Thanksgiving, and the eight-month term was completed about the last of April. 
Lloyd Howell, uh, who was the superintendent at Lakeside, was selected as the first superintendent of Greene County Tech. The school opened its first session on November 17, 1947, even though the building was not ready. There was so much opposition to the consolidation that they feared that if they didn't start school, the opposition would deconsolidate the district. They held classes on the top floor of the building. The lower floor was not finished. There were no stairs to the second floor, so they used the carpenter's ramps for access to the classrooms. There was no heat in the building, so they bought army surplus stoves and put one in each room with stove pipes sticking out the windows. Students brought their lunches from home. No restrooms existed, so they built two outdoor toilets. They drilled a water well behind the building and got their drinking water from it. They had no phone service, so they used the phone at J.A. Little's grocery store, which was a quarter of a mile east of the school. That's where the Caps Plus was later located. They had no gym, so basketball teams practiced at the Greene County School, at Walcott, and at Light. The first graduating class was in 1948, and that's the same year I graduated from Perigold High School. In the spring of 1948, the lower floor of the Tech School building was completed, and they had the luxury of indoor toilets. A school lunch program was started, and Lloyd Howell's wife was the director and cook in that school uh, food program. They also had inside steps to the second floor. The district purchased a central heating system consisting of a coal-fired steam boiler with steam radiators in each room. This was purchased from Army Surplus Property. In 1949, the state legislature passed a law to abolish all school districts with a total enrollment of less than 350 students. This caught Beach Grove and Light. They could have joined together with a, within a limited time frame. However, Beach Grove and Light couldn't agree on a location for a school, and their time limit expired. The County Board of Education placed them in the Tech School District, and then Della Plain later came in under the same circumstances. A basketball gym was built in 1951. The district didn't have sufficient funds to hire an architect and contract for construction of the gym, so the district hired Alan Fletcher, a local carpenter. They drew up their own plans and let a contract to Pigeon Thomas Iron Company of Memphis to construct the steel framing. The district ran out of money before completing the gym. Representatives of the school district went to Arvin Reynolds and Marvin Reynolds of Paragould and told their story. 
the representatives offered to name the building after the Reynolds if they would provide the money to complete the building. The Reynolds did this, and so we had Reynolds Fieldhouse. Does anybody know what the Reynolds did, what their profession was? Apparently they had. Yes, Marvin and Arvin Reynolds were the Dr. Pepper, were the owners of the Dr. Pepper Bottling Company with Herbert Bland. Okay. Uh, Green County Tech started offering the regular program of study that would be required for college admission. In addition, Tech offered the following courses. Auto tractor mechanics, cosmetology, vocational agriculture, home economics, choral music, and business courses including accounting, typewriting, and shorthand. The first major problem was finance. This was the first organization of this type in the state. It was not known if traditional school financing would support this type program. During the school years 1951-52, 1952-53, and 1954-55, Tech was unable to complete nine months of school because funds were not available. Transportation costs were more than in the past. Students had to be transported to the wing schools, as in previous years, and then the upper grades had to be transported to the central high school. Another problem was distribution of state funds. This distribution of state funds was planned for schools with programs beginning in September and running continuously to the end of the term. The first money that schools received from the state usually arrived in October. By this time, Tech had one-fourth of its school year completed. The district borrowed money from a local bank for summer operations. There was a limit of $50,000 the district could borrow from one bank. Green County Tech was so large that it took more than this to operate through the summer. It was through the kindness of Eugene Browning, cashier of Security Bank, that the district was able to survive. Mr. Browning arranged with other banks to carry $50,000 each of indebtedness from the district. Three other banks, in addition to Security Bank, participated in this loan program. A point to be made, $50,000 67 years ago, represented a great deal more money than it would today. As an experienced auto mechanic, uh, no, an experienced auto mechanic was hired to supervise the bus repair and maintenance program. Bus drivers also worked in the shop to repair and maintain the buses. Drivers also worked in the school lunch room. When a bus was worn out, the body was removed and transferred to a new chassis, thereby saving money on the cost of a new bus. The final result was that transportation costs were less than before consolidation. Lloyd Howell, who was the first superintendent of Greene County Tech, looked back and reflected. 
These are the words of Lloyd Howell. After my tenure as superintendent of Green County Technical School District, it was my happy experience to be employed at Arkansas State University as registrar. This position gave me an excellent opportunity to observe some of the products of our previous efforts at Green County Tech. Dr. Carl R. Ring, president of Arkansas State University, gave an honors banquet each year at the end of the first semester and invited freshmen who had entered college at the beginning of the semester who had a 3.5 grade point average during the first semester. I kept a tabulation of the number of students attending the banquet from various high schools in the area. I was very elated to see that the number from Green County Tech favorably, favorably compared with the larger high schools. It made me feel good to realize that we had not sold the residents of Green County Technical School District a bad bill of goods. And this ends the remarks of Lloyd Howell. My dad, W.A. Branch, was born in 1884. He started teaching in 1902 at age 18. He observed that the best school is a log with a gifted teacher on one end and a willing student on the other. Absent this, perhaps Green County Tech may be just such a school, perhaps exceeding the greatest expectations of its founders. Hmm. So what do you think? Well, you, you left no stone unturned. <laughs> Boy. That's amazing. A lot um, of education going on around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just don't realize how much had to happen in order for the, us to the have The changes. People today can't imagine when kids couldn't go to school. They had no opportunity to go to school. And mm -hmm. then when they did, they had to walk to school mm -hmm. and walk home. Mm -hmm. And the teacher was just like one of them who had finished a year or two ahead of him and decided he wanted to teach. Wow. That's amazing, too. I, I looked it up real quick. In 1945, $50,000 would be $822,000 today. Quite Say a difference. $50,000 in 1945 is $822,000 Goodness today. gracious. And there were four, 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 four of those. It. That was a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. I'm curious on uh, and, and this. You may not know this. This might be a, a question to ask for somebody else. But I've always been um, somewhat confused by the boundaries of our like school zones. And you know, like you'll have like a Paragold bus run down one street, and then a Tech bus runs down the very next street. Does that have anything to do with how these schools were developed, or did that have nothing to do with where the schools developed and when they developed and the consolidation? Is that are those totally unrelated, or are they all connected? Do you know, each of those school districts were created to serve a particular area, and there was no overlap, and there were and initially there was no uh, connection between them. There were uh, huge areas that had no organized school and then eventually as the school districts filled in the gaps they could not overlap they each was a tax entity each school district had its own tax base 
and depended on that tax base, each school district established their own amount of taxes. The people in the district voted for the amount of taxes they were willing to pay to support their school. And was Paragould, was it wealthier? Did it have wealthier a wealthier demographic it was pulling from or just more people it was pulling from? That- well, it had both. It had a larger people population base, and then it had businesses that were paying taxes. Wow. It had industries that were paying taxes, had railroads that were paying taxes. Okay. So Paragould had a real advantage from a tax base. Yeah. I was uh, struck by, you know, whenever I was – this is – certainly changed now um but whenever i was in high school the ongoing joke was you know green county tech was the farmers or they were the you know the country folk or yeah. whatever we were the city and they were and, the backwards folks yeah and i always wondered where that came from um but i guess like green county tech was formed by a lot of these outside the city communities and i guess that's yeah. how the stereotype kind of developed they they were the farm families that joined together to have a school my dad's vision originally was to have one school district for the entire county. Paragould and the county schools would all merge and have one school district for the entire county with two high schools, one high school in Paragould and one high school out in the county. The high school in Paragould would be an academic high school offering a course of study for those who intended to pursue a greater education, further education, go to college. Mm -hmm. And the School district, the school out in the county, the high school, would be a technical high school that would prepare students for jobs in technics, uh, technical and industrial fields who did not plan to go to college. Mm. He could not do that because Paragool was on a nine-month term and the schools out in the county were on a split term. So there was no way that that could be brought about. So that's why he and Lloyd Howell and Ellen Little focused on the schools out in the county. Three districts, Alexander, Lakeside, and Green County School. Mm. It's incredible that you have all that information up in your head and on paper. Well, I lived with it all my life. (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea your dad played such a uh, pivotal role. And so... um, yeah, you had a front row seat of a lot I did. of that stuff. I heard about it every day. <laughs> I knew Elwin Little very well. I knew Lloyd Howell. In fact, Lloyd Howell was a student of my dad. My Lloyd Howell grew up across the street from where the new Green County Tech High School mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. That's where the first consolidated school was, where dad was superintendent. And Lloyd Howell went to school there. Lloyd Howell, then when he married Lillian, uh, he and his wife, uh, they their home was across the street from that school where the new Sonic is located. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's where the Howells lived. Oh, very nice. I used to live right out in that area, passed it every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you, I, I want to. I know you came on uh, a little over a month ago, wasn't? Wasn't too long ago. A couple months ago. A couple months ago. And so, and I asked you a list of rapid fire questions, but I want to ask those again here in a little bit since you, uh, we ask that to every guest that comes on every episode. Robert, do you have any questions, or did he answer pretty much everything you already had, man? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about questions. I, I found some things interesting. Uh, I, one thing I just thought was interesting was that so many, it seems like churches were responsible or taking on the responsibility for educating kids, you know, especially back in the or yep. in the beginning, you know. Yeah, letting them use their buildings and all yeah. that. 
Yeah, the churches didn't necessarily offer the education. Right, but they they allowed their facility sure. to be used by a teacher, and that teacher may be an itinerant teacher who gets paid a fee in a, a subscription sure. school, or it may be a local person who wants to teach, mm-hmm. and the parents are willing to pay that local person. That's what my father did. Uh, he taught at Woods Chap at Brown's Chapel and Woods Chapel. Saved his money, went to Washita one year, came back and taught at Walcott. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he, when he was teaching at Woods Brown's Chapel, he was teaching his neighbors. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's Great. get into some rapid fire questions. Okay. Got We're it. Do it again, and I'm going to switch them up maybe a little bit. All right. So I don't want to make this too easy on you. Uh, what is the last show that you watched, or the last book that you read? Well, I'm reading a book right now on the Lord's Prayer. Hey, hey. we're doing a series in our church on the Lord's Prayer. We're doing the same thing. Is that right? Yeah. Man, we have to talk about that off the air. Yeah, I just, uh, I just finished teaching on Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed Be Your Name, and this Sunday. That's where we are right now. Well, we're on Hallowed Be Thy Name. Well, Dane's probably just going to listen to what I preach, and he's just going <laughs> to preach that. He also wait behind me. Well, give him, send him your notes. <laughs> uh, you don't want to use my notes. Um, okay, what is your favorite? I asked you last time your favorite band. Um, I wonder if you have a favorite song. Do you have a song, like a go-to song? That yeah, St. James Infirmary Blues. That's a song or that's a band? That's a band, a song. St. James. St. James St. James Infirmary is in New Orleans, and this fellow is uh, in love with a woman, and she dies, and she's down in the morgue at St. James Infirmary, and he sings about going down there to visit his girlfriend in the morgue, all laid out on a marble table, so cold, so pale, so bare. He says, let her go, let her go, God bless her, and wherever she may be, (laughs) she can look this world over and never find another True daddy like me. <laughs> well, that's excellent, man. Can oh, you find that song? Right? Give, give me the name one more time. St. James Infirmary Blues. Okay. Yeah, you're going to have to pull that up. I'm going to have to hear it. Um, I asked you last time, what is your favorite meal? I'm going to ask you this time, what is your favorite dessert? Well, let me go back. My meals is uh, soup, beans, and cornbread, and onion. Good sweet onion. Oh, just a good sweet. Is that a like a white onion or a, a, a white purple? onion? Yeah. Okay, white. Yeah. Onion. Just a good sweet onion. No cornbread. Now, no bread with that. Yeah, soup, beans, cornbread. Okay, cornbread. You said and that. onion. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and if I get something else, I want collard greens with it. Yeah. Cooked with some ba- good bacon grease. Do you, do you make the collard greens yourself? I used to grow them. Yeah. Do you do you know how to make them? Oh yeah. What do you do to make a good collard greens? I don't feel like I I know how to make a good collard. Well, green. you take stem out. It's a huge leaf. Yes. You take the stem out, and then you put them in water and put salt with them and put a good helping of bacon grease okay. in there, and you cook them and you cook them and you cook them and when you think they're done, you cook them some okay. more. Okay. You cook them and you cook them. So and good. Would a crock pot work? Is oh yeah, if you cook the them long enough. Okay. And then when you take them out, you you put a lot of good pepper sauce on them. Yeah, the vinegar yeah. pepper sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I always either put that on there or just straight vinegar on them. Yeah. Uh, pepper yeah. sauce. That's you good. used to grow your collars, and you tell the difference between the ones you grew and the ones you at the store. Well, you can't hardly find them in the store. Hayes usually sometimes has them, but 
Um, yeah, they're much better. They're fresher if you get them. My out wife the and I are about to do a fall garden, so I'm gonna see if I can grow some collards now. You ought to grow collard greens. Are the easiest to grow and easiest to pick. They're so much larger than turnip greens or mustard greens mm-hmm. or spinach, so they're much easier. I'm convinced. I'm going for it. Uh, favorite dessert? Uh, favorite dessert would probably be egg custard pie. Egg custard pie. Egg custard pie. Never had it. My egg. mother, when I come home from school, see, I had eight brothers and sisters. And when I came home, when we came home from school, my mother would have a fresh baked pie out on the uh, cabinet, still warm. And we would go by and just scoop up a piece, walk out in the backyard, and eat it out of our hand. All right. Excellent. Sounds delicious. Uh, normally, I would ask what's in your nightstand right now. I'm calling an audible right here on the spot. Uh, a little bit harder question. What is your ideal of the perfect day? I know there's no such thing as like a real perfect day, but like what would be a, and that's a really good day in your life. In your uh, a perfect day is uh, uh, to arise and enjoy nature. The first thing I do is I go for a walk. I walk the outdoor track at the community center. Mm-hmm. I try to work walk early in the morning. I do that to observe nature, to uh, to listen to nature, to enjoy nature. And if we don't do that, we've missed much of life. Mm-hmm. Nature, uh, we're nature, mm-hmm. and uh, nature serves us. Uh, so my, I like to start my day with nature, and uh, then. Uh, I, I go home and I cook breakfast. I prepare breakfast. I don't always cook, but I, I prepare breakfast. I like ruby red grapefruit segments. Right now I'm eating cantaloupe slices. I like um, bagel yeah. with homemade jam. I, I do my own. I cook my own jam. Look and at you. Uh, uh, Right now I have plum jam. I have uh, peach jam, strawberry jam, and muscadine jelly, and I made all of those. Wow, that's incredible. Um, after And then after that, it's just kind of what? I go to the office and visit with the people down at the law office. Bob Thompson's retired. He and I have desks up in the library, and we sit and visit with each other and drink coffee together. And uh, then I usually go to the wellness center at the hospital and work out each day on the weight machines. Uh, the bicycle, stationary bicycle and all. Uh, I go home then, um, read the paper. I read two newspapers each day. Uh, I only eat two meals a day, say, to breakfast and a late evening meal. I usually take a nap in the middle of the day. That sounds like a pretty good day to me. Yeah. I'm all about it. Uh, I'll ask this last question here. What's one thing that you are deeply grateful for right now? Good health, good health, uh, always for my parents and for our family. I had eight brothers and sisters. We grew up in a home. I never heard a word of profanity spoken in the home where I grew up. There was never an alcoholic beverage served or consumed in the home in which I grew up. Now, I would say this, uh, I have been profane on occasion. I try not to be, but I have been. I have consumed alcoholic beverages on occasion. Uh, not I, I never drink alone. I drink infrequently. Uh, I can't remember the last time I had an alcoholic beverage. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess I had a beer last week. <laughs> <laughs> what what beer did you have? Uh, it, it was a um, Miller Lite. Miller Lite. All right. Classic. Yeah. Uh, that's good. You're how old now? 92. 92. Plus, I'm, I'm working on 93. So here's the secret to longevity. Walk in nature. Um, exercise. exercise. Eat your greens. Yeah. Don't, don't. Overeat. Don't, don't overeat. Don't drink in excess. Right. A little Miller Lite every don't now and then. Don't smoke at all. Don't smoke at all. Yeah. And be a learner. Yeah. Always read and always seek to learn something every day. Excellent. You can le- learn a lot more listening than you can talking. So I try to listen. Well, thank you very much for giving us an opportunity and our listeners to learn something today. Really appreciate you coming on. We'll have to have you again as we uh, move into another segment of Paragord Ring County History at another time. Thanks again, Bob. All right. Thank you, Jared. And that was Bob Branch talking about the history of our schools. Robert. A lot of history. I couldn't believe, I can't remember the number, and I don't even know if I wrote it down, but how many schools there were. It's like 83 at one point. That's insane. I think in like 1905, 6, 7, 8, somewhere out there, there was like 83. That was crazy. Yes, it absolutely was. And as we were walking out, he was just, (laughs) he was still just uh, giving me all kinds of little nuggets about the history of even my street that I live on and who lived uh, in this house and that house. I mean, just a wealth of knowledge. And so, as always, Bob, thanks so much for uh, making the time to be here. And for those who are still listening, thank you so much for tuning in. We, uh, We do this because of you. So, we truly love uh, to provide content where we get a chance to celebrate the stories, the amazing people living here in Paragould. And speaking of that, if you have not already done so, please go on iTunes, give us a five-star rating so more people can find us quickly and and learn about these incredible people. Um, Also, remember, we're on the different social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And so you can definitely check us out there. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.